Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Starship Sofa. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to All Delights, show number 107. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Did you miss me? Did you? Heck, you didn't even know I'd gone. Yes, I've been away for a week in sunny Cyprus. Just got back a few days ago. And with Starship Sofa hitting the ground running. My God, yes, loads to do. I'll give you a little heads up what's happening in a day's show. Editorial by my good self. We have a poem by Samantha Henderson. Flash fiction comes from Nicholas Seaton Clark. And main fiction is just a great story. Captain Blood's Booty by Jeremiah Talbot. Some of you might know Jeremiah Talbot as Jeremy Talbot over on Sofa Notes or editor at Escapod. A great, great story. There is also a little, a tiny little interview between myself and Larry. I got an email off Larry a couple of days ago and the title was enough to make me eyes stand out and start water. <laughs> the title was 21,000. Now, now bear in mind, can anyone remember the brief Larry got for this story? Science fiction, keep it science fiction, all pulpy style, round about 8,000 words. <laughs> the email, Tony, it's up to 21. 21? <laughs> can you hear that? 21,000. <laughs> So I got this email off Larry, and I noticed it was actually on Skype. And like I said, well, I, haven't, I haven't just been back a couple of days, and I knew Larry was kind of struggling with times as well to get a progress report over. So I thought, I seen Larry online on Skype, and I thought I'd just give him a little buzz just to see if he was joking. You know, the old guy, see if he was pulling me leg. Is he what? <laughs> so there's a little audio interview with me and Larry, just a couple of minutes long about, you know, the progress of his new story. There's also a couple of new titles at the end as well. And right at the end, there's going to be a little mention of a new project, and I'm hoping there'll be a few people get involved. The idea for the new project is another book, and I'm hoping to get as many people on board to help out as well. All you need at this moment is typing skills. Can you type? So look out for that and listen out for that. A new project is by Starship Sova coming very soon. So just before we get into the editorial, just to let everyone know in the kind of the, the private sanatorium shows, I have been trying four times to get a show out of you since I got back. Four times. And I will it'll it'll not be long, put it that way, but you think, oh he hasn't had a show for a while. It's it's all to do with audio. And if you listen to the kind of sofa notes, the last sofa note show I did, audio was terrible over there. And when I got back from Cyprus, it was literally so many emails, and I noticed a couple of the emails were on a little bit, talking a little bit about audio quality over there, so uh, 
grabbed a listen and it was shocking. So my apologies for everyone who's had to struggle through that. It was a great show when, when I was listening to it live, but the audio quality is shocking and it was all to do with pressing wrong buttons and getting, hopefully I'm getting it sorted out. But the knock-on effect is it's having a slight, the private sanatorium show, it's, like I say, it took us four goes now and I still haven't gotten it done, but that will come, I promise you. <laughs> So we'll kick off with the editorial. And while I was in on my happy holidays over there, what a thought, <laughs> lying by the pool, the old bull Tony C. Smith there in his shorts, lovely weather. And I didn't want to take my iPhone, you know, it's it's my iPod as well, and I had all my kind of stories on there, but I was thinking, I, I wasn't too sure about, you know, because I've got a lot of, like, applications on there and I don't know if they were hitting on the internet constantly and I wasn't too sure about how much it would cost or anything like that and I didn't want to break it or lose it or get it stolen so I thought be a grown-up to act your age you know what I mean put your toys down and just go over and that's what exactly what I did and I wanted to kind of go over there and just have a lovely time with the, you know the wife and the kids playing in the pool and everything like that so I had to take books <laughs> it's been a long time since I've actually read a book a couple of the books that I took over was the James Bliss story, A Case of Conscious. I've never read that one. It's always been one of them ones Kieran mentioned a long time ago that it's one you had to sit down and read. So I took that over, and I'm actually still only halfway through that one. And I took the Neil Gaiman one, Graveyard Book, along with a whole load of other ones. But it was just those two that were my main kind of books to, to get read and to kind of finish off and to make sure I read them like say the James Blish one because I started that one halfway through the week and I haven't gotten through and now I'm back to reality you know it's hard to kind of sit down and read the thing but while I was over there with this graveyard book I, I, it just got me mind thinking and it's just really why do some books become almost viral and you know sell in the, the rapid thousands hundreds of thousands and why do some just don't, you know, what is that kind of, and I'm saying Neil Gaiman's book, you know, it, I don't know how many it sold, you know, I haven't got facts or figures here, but it's obviously sold a hell of a lot, but what just, what would push that to, to make it into the kind of, the global, way, you know, I see like the Harry Potter, and why I was, I was thinking this was, when we, the actual book I got, I was lying by the pool reading it, it's style and everything, or not style, but the, you know, the, the thickness of it, the UK publishers Bloomsbury, and it just reminds us of the first paperback of Harry Potter. Same, you know, thickness, probably the same kind of page number. You know, it's it's based on that that age group, you know. But it could go, like I say, it has gone to adults, you know, and like I say, it's going, I guess, a little bit viral. But what just makes the book, you know, go screaming out of the shops on in, in just like such a vast fortune you know in vast numbers and i was just thinking is graveyard book like that will it go that way or is harry the harry potter kind of phenomenon is that like a one-off and they don't come around too often you know and i was thinking about the publisher and i'm sure the publisher you know bloomsbury is that just they've had that what their one lucky break and that's not going to come around again or do you think something like on the scale of harry potter and the the amount of books, you know, like and even like TV news coverage. You know, I remember sitting down watching the news and it just showing like the new release of the the book and 
doors open at 12 o'clock midnight and kids screaming to go in. So really my question is, what just makes that book turn into this phenomenon that we all know? Like I say, the potential was there for the Neil Gaiman one. I don't think it's it's gone that way. Obviously, you know, it's winning all awards and critically acclaimed. And I enjoyed the book, don't get us wrong. It was, shouldn't have, <laughs> I enjoyed Little Brother better. It should, that should have won the Hugo Award. But, you know, and it's actually, it has passed through the family. You know, Ellie's now reading it and Reed wants to read it. Is Graveyard Book or, like, can anyone think of any other books that are just, you know, hovering before they go into this kind of next supersonic phase, if one for a better description? Let us know your thoughts, you know, because I mean, like I say, it's been on my mind a while. How do you get that book into the mega stardom? You know, like I say, that this book has, has all the potential to get there. But I don't think it is. What just tips it over and what just gets it to that place where <laughs> writers just dream about? Let us know. And while you're doing that, we'll have some poetry. Today's poetry comes from Samantha Henderson and is narrated by Annette Bowman. Heat. By Samantha Henderson. This poem first appeared in Starline, October 2006. Heat. It is not the fashion in these days of rollerblades and liposuction to admit our hunger, even to ourselves. We avoid the mention of the mountaintops, the balmy jungles, wet and vines looping the fever trees the slits in the rock, the feel of a weak and tepid breeze on your skin, the only difference between hot, damp underground and hot, damp overworld, and the way blood trickles thin as water here and here across the shoulders when you hit the angle right. It is not the fashion of water. Ice water is all we gorge upon, and air as cold as ice, sealed in hermetic townhouses, It is not the fashion to watch the moon rise and the stars wink into view. But tonight, I drank tepid water at the kitchen sink and saw Arcturus rise, red and bloated. I am hungry. There you go. Thank you, Samantha, and thank you, Annette. Links to both Samantha and Annette site on from the website so we have google wave now i've got 20 invites if anybody wants to have a little bash at google wave let me know drop us an email starships over at gmail.com i'm wondering as well what what can starships over as a community do with google wave <laughs> as usual i haven't got a clue but great minds let me know it's it's out there. I've got a few friends on there. Please pop if you can do anything. If you have any ideas that you can do for Google Wave that can just help the community itself, you know, and get we're all chattering away and get we're all into science fiction and just make new friends. Do you know what I mean? Just keep friendships going. Let us know if you have any ideas. And again, I have these twenty invites. If anyone wants one, please just drop us an email. I'll be more than happy to send any over. And, you know, if, if I run out of them, I'm sure there's people out there I can get in touch with people and we can sort out 
invites as well. Because at the moment, they're limited. But I think Google Wave has the potential to be great. You know what I mean? I don't know how it's going to be great. <laughs> That's why I was leaving it up to you. So let us know. Starshipsover at gmail.com. Next day is a little bit of flash fiction, and it comes from Nicola Chapman. Nicola has done a few narrations for Starship Sofa, and also worked with her husband to do professional narrations over in Germany at a company called Ofstimmer. So the Starship Sofa and her oral delights is very proud to present. Deracination by Nicola Chapman When Brad found out that they had buried Laura, he lost it completely. He raced to the graveyard and started frantically digging her out. He grabbed up the gravedigger's wooden shovel and started heaving at the freshly turned earth, pushing it away with his foot. Stupid fools! Stupid, inbred, vicious primitives! He raged as his palms split and bled on the rough handle. Never heard of diabetes. Never heard of coma belly and understand what illness is. Savages! He spat the last word, angrier than he'd ever been. But he knew it was actually all his fault. He was the one who'd left her. He was the one who'd stormed off to Dresden after their fight, convinced he was right. Convinced he'd find the famous composer there setting up house with his mistress. Convinced that the gossip he'd heard in the dingy tavern was worth more than all the careful research they'd done before they came. Convinced he would come back with pictures to prove his hypothesis and get further research grants. Convinced! Right up until the point when he found her insulin kit in the false bottom of his period valise. The ornate ruffs on his sleeves were getting in his way, and he couldn't get a good grip on the rough tool. As he was in the process of ripping them off, he saw the portly pastor coming towards him at a shambling trot, accompanied by the gravedigger. Sir, please, sir, you must stop. She is with God now. There is nothing you can do for her. He could barely understand the man's guttural 18th-century German, since he didn't have his translator program running, but he got the gist of it. Back off, Sparky, she's not dead. Understand me? Sie ist nicht tot! The pastor shook his head sadly and gestured to the gravedigger, who made a lunge as if to pull him away. Brad lifted an arm to brush him off, which was when everything went a bit haywire. He felt the man's grubby fingers hook under the skin suit at the nape of his neck felt the snap and sizzle of a connection parting. Then his vision clouded, just like a normal time jump. He caught a glimpse of the horrified face of the pastor as the little man stumbled away from Brad. No! he yelled in panic, slapping his forearm in a frantic attempt to reset the jumpsuit. It seemed to help, but then the daylight flickered. The shovel fumbled itself out of his fingers. He watched in stunned disbelief as it crumbled in front of his eyes. He grabbed a stick lying on the ground, but it too crumbled away. He noticed heat and cold alternating over his body as the seasons started turning faster and faster. A house built itself up around him and he saw people strobing past. He grabbed a metal pole from the hands of a Victorian parlourmaid and ignored her hysterical screams, which faded even as he began hitting the wall where he'd last seen Laura's grave. Time seemed to speed up and slow down randomly, and once a woman in 21st century dress tried to talk to him, asking him if he was okay, but he couldn't stop hitting the wall and shouting Laura's name, standing there in the tumble-down ruins of a once grand house. Perhaps he's still there, fading in and out, haunting the place. Terrible what faulty jumpsuit wiring can do. There you go. I forgot to mention as well, Nicola did the narration, so thank you very much, Nicola. A great story, picked by our good friend... 
Grandstone Slush Monkey. If you have any flash fiction you want to get in there, please send it over to Starships Over and I will pass it on to Grant. So I think it's time now for the main story. And like I said, the main story is just amazing and it's an amazing narration as well. Main story comes from Jeremiah Talbot. As we know it, Jeremy Talbot, he is the editor over at Escape Pod. I'll give you a little intro. This is what Jeremy wrote about his good self. He is a writer, photographer and web designer. And can I just kick in there with some of Jeremy Talbot's web designs? Are Well, all of them are just fantastic you know pop over to his site and have a look at some of the work he's done there amazing lives in the mountains of colorado he's currently works as the editor of as we know escape pod and he often pinches my narrators as we know he's been a frequent guest on the sofa notes podcast where he regularly talks about the demise of the short fiction markets and he occasionally raises the hackles of other editors as we know he has never worked a traditional writer job like cow puncher or taxi driver, and this saddens him. I'll put a link on Jeremy's site. Listen to the old Sofa North shows. There's some great, you know, topics in there discussed by Jeremy, and like I say, a stunning writer. This story is narrated by Jeff Michelli, who is a computer security and forensic geek living in South Louisiana. He does voiceovers for commercials, podcasts, and the like. Spends most of his spare time playing around with home automation, gadgets and chasing his year and a half old daughter around. He's currently working on a website, he doesn't have one at the moment, but one day there will be one. So the Starship Sofa and her oral delights is so proud to present. Captain Blood's Booty by Jeremiah Tolbert Captain Blood, leet most high of the mythical order of the Buccaneers, was dead. Or so said a Damon posted blog post on his hidden website at 4.42 p.m. And whether it was true or just some hacker hoax, it was major bad news either way. Either he was dead, and that sucked, or our enemies had cracked his defenses and wanted everyone to believe he was dead. I logged onto my desktop and checked the status of my firewall sprogs, all clear, and started hitting the tracker sites looking for some weapons. One of the Swedish cabals had uploaded a true name-enabled summoning sprog for a daemon from the Maleficus, so I jumped on the torrent and watched it trickle down to my hard drive. I tried connecting to my cabal's IM server to see what our plan was, but the server timed out. That made me nervous. I cursed under my breath. "'What's going on?' Seth, my doormate, asked from his bed. He lay sprawled out, surrounded by economics textbooks and notes. That reminded me that finals were days away.' It wasn't a happy reminder. Just some network trouble, I said. That sucks. Oh, hey, this came for you earlier. He tossed me a large manila envelope. I inspected it carefully for unusual auras before opening it. A hidden metatag glowed brightly on my netmage site. Embedded within its skulls and bones was a captain's sigil, a droplet of blood. I tore open the envelope, triggering the embedded sprog-powered microchip. At once, a 400-pound man with a tangled gray beard wearing a Firefly t-shirt appeared behind Seth. "'Hello there, Kabbalistas,' Captain Blood's ghost said. Seth twisted around and said, "'Dude, you scared the sh—' "'So, if you're seeing this, I'm dead,' continued the captain, as if Seth hadn't spoken. "'When you're the latest net magic pirate to sail the digital seas, you're bound to be a target.' And we all knew I couldn't duck our enemies forever. 
Don't waste any tears or time on me. You have to find my hidden treasure, matey. Uh, why is there a crazy person in our room? Seth asked. I waved him out of the way and made shushing sounds. He hesitantly took a seat on his bed. If you're smart enough, you'll find it before our enemies do, the captain's ghost was saying. Use the map I've sent you and keep it safe. If the MAA gets this, everything we stand for will be destroyed. The captain raised his hand and saluted, then vanished into a cloud of Cheeto-colored smoke. I dug through the envelope and found a small USB thumb drive, but nothing else. Seth leapt from his bed and stuck his head out into the hall. He must not have seen anything because he turned back to me with a mixture of amused anger and confusion. "'What the hell was that all about?' Seth demanded. "'Are you in some kind of cult?' I specifically wrote on my roommate application form, "'No cults.' "'Uh, yeah, about that.' I had a sprog that would make Seth forget the apparition, but when I turned back to my computer to access it, I found it under someone else's control. It helpfully indicated this fact in bright red letters. We are in control of your computer. Please remain seated while we access your files. M.A.A. Shit, we need to leave like five seconds ago, I said. I grabbed my bag and pushed Seth out the door with me, slamming the door just behind as the computer shot purple lightning bolts in every direction. Your computer just tried to electrocute you, Seth said numbly. I tugged his arm and led him down the hall as fast as I could manage after a semester's diet of Mountain Dew and pepperoni pizza. Yeah, uh, about that, I said. I am kind of in a cult. Well, a cabal anyway. We used to steal magic and distribute it to the masses. Now, well, now we're screwed. I was talking too fast. Seth had a look in his eyes like he might try to bolt. I took my PDA out of my bag. It was a third-generation Palm clone with a 250 megahertz processor overclocked to 350, just powerful enough to run a few public domain protective spells I'd crunched myself from the long-lost friend. I thumbed up one called A Breeze Erases Footprints in the Dust and fed a meg of mojo into it. All it would do was slow down my pursuers, but I needed time to think. Dude, your computer... Here's the short explanation, I said. Magic's held in strict copyright by a bunch of immortal pricks who have an organization called the MAA. You've heard of the RIAA, right? Recording Industry Association of America? Of course. Well, the MAA is the Magical Association of Atlantis, and instead of suing you for illegally downloading, they banish you from existence. Or worse. What's worse than being banished from existence? You don't want to know. So, the MAA has a monopoly on magic, but there are rogue graybeards who don't think that should be. Like the guy who appeared in our room? Right, I said, mentally adding plus one to his respect score. Seth nodded. Wait, where are we going? The mental health center's in the other direction, he pointed out calmly. Funny, I need mojo. I'm just about tapped out, so we need a safe access point. Where's safety? he asked, shoulders slumping. What the hell's mojo? The energy that powers spells, I said. Safety may be another net mage's inner sanctum if we're lucky. I know one who lives not too far from campus. I let go of Seth's arm, but he continued to follow as we cut across the quad. Hey, I haven't illegally downloaded any magic. I stopped. True, I said. You could go back to the room if you want. With the computer-turned-lightning-death machine? Yeah, I started off again. Guess you better keep up.
Our destination was the Kappa Kappa Theta sorority house. We paused for a minute outside on the neatly manicured still green lawn so that we could catch our breath and plod away inside. There's a sorority girl who pirates magic? Yeah, matchmaker 231. I can't believe you know the sorority girl. These chicks are way out of your league. Uh, yeah, I sniffed. You do know her, right? I know of her. It's her knowing me that's tricky. We're breaking in, aren't we? I prefer to call it taking sanctuary. I'm sure the cops will buy that, Quasimodo. The house was dark. On the Saturday night before finals week, campus was crazy with parties. I happened to know that the Kappa Kappas were busy partying it up with their brother fraternity, so I figured it would be safe for me to break into Matchmaker 231's sanctum to use her machine. Even if the MAA were tracking us, another practitioner's protective spells would confuse them long enough for me to regroup. Getting into the building was easy enough. Someone had left a window open, just a crack on the fire escape on the second floor. An ashtray sat on the wrought iron railing as an explanation. Once inside, we headed to the third floor, where I could feel the throb of magic. We stopped outside the room, and Seth looked to me. Are you going to magic open the door or something? I checked my PDA and found that my protective spell was minutes away from burning through every last megabyte of mojo I had left. That was the problem with public domain sprogs. They were mojo hogs. Looks like we'll have to do it the old-fashioned way, I said. I stepped back to bash the door with my shoulder, but Seth stopped me. He reached into the pockets of his two tight hipster jeans and pulled out a student ID and went to work. After a minute or so, the door swung open. Dude, how did... I began. Just kidding, Seth said. It wasn't even unlocked. If the cops do catch us, I'm selling you out to our cellmates for a pack of smokes. Inside, Matchmaker's room was surprisingly spare. A few photos of smiling sorority bimbos in various vampish poses were pinned to the wall above a neatly made bed. A yellow curtain covered the entrance to the closet on the opposite wall. Along the third wall was a cheap Ikea desk with a decidedly not cheap dual-core Intel Macintosh. It hummed with magic potential. I cackled and took a seat. The lumbar support was all wrong, and it took me a few seconds of adjustments before I was ready. Seth paced nervously behind me. What should I do? he asked. Watch in the hall and tell me if you see anyone coming. I rested my fingers on the keyboard. The slight pressure caused the password prompt to appear. I fed my remaining mojo into the best cracking sprog I had. The prompt disappeared and the machine gave me a desktop. I connected the thumb drive and my PDA. I felt naked with no mojo, but I knew I should look at the contents of the thumb drive first. I opened it and found a single text file. Opening that, I found myself staring at a list of what must have been at least 300,000 IP addresses. Odd, and probably worthless to our current situation. It could take weeks to fully scan the IPs and look for ways into the machines. Just hiding something on one of the machines would be too simple for the captain. There had to be a trick. But to investigate further, I'd need more mojo. I tried my most secret of stashes, a completely anonymous Gmail account, it was still active, so I began copying the attachments I'd mailed to myself from my wear servers, 10 megabytes in size each, to the PDA's drive, while I scrolled through the IP addresses. What the hell was the captain trying to tell me with them? It was going to take some serious processing power to find a pattern in the numbers, assuming one even existed. My PDA wasn't going to cut it. Just then, I felt a pair of hands rest upon my shoulders. 
They began to massage gently. I let out a small moan and I leaned back into the hands. They were strong and confident, and I knew just where my stress rested. The next few minutes are a little hazy, but I think they involve Seth and I making out like a couple of high school freshmen. Now, I'm completely straight, and as far as I know, so is Seth. But you never know with these hipsters, and anyway, I don't want to go into detail, but things were most definitely not natural. And I don't mean that as a commentary on lifestyle choices. We had fallen under one of the matchmaker's defensive spell programs. Total rookie mistake on my part. We were going at it for at least 20 minutes. As Seth's tongue oh-so-gently probed my ear, I caught a glimpse of a woman shaking, with barely contained laughter in the doorway. She wore a slinky black dress and propped herself against the doorframe, like she had been drinking. Her hair was done up in curls. Molly, a.k.a. Matchmaker 231. She was the only girl in Larrytown for me. Normally, I kind of wanted to screw her senseless and do other obscene things to her. Up until now... I thought that she didn't know that I existed, which was how I liked it, given that I was a spineless coward when it came to women. Thank you, Santa, she said cheerfully. Could you, mm, please cancel the sprog, I said. But you look like you're having fun, she said. Oh, God, please, his earwax tastes awful, Seth mumbled. Matchmaker sighed, and the spell was lifted. Seth and I separated quickly and kept the width of the room between us. I need access to a sanctum, and you were the closest. I can pay you mojo later. I don't want your pirate boy mojo, she said softly. It's better than the quizzer stuff you use, I snapped. Wait, you know who I am? I felt a stupid hormonal charge from her having heard of me. The thrill of the illicit does not make it better, she said, then marched into the room. She jerked my connections from her machine and threw them at me. I barely caught the thumb drive and I pocketed it quickly. Of course I know who you are. I work social magic. I know every practitioner in a 77-mile radius. Hey, that was an odd kind of defensive spell, you know, I said, changing the subject quickly. What if I had broken in by myself? There's a vibrator in the closet, she said curtly. Now tell me exactly why you thought I would let you get away with invading my private space, in ten words or less. Mentor killed. Cabal mates busted. Need mojo. Find hidden treasure. Ten on the nose, Seth said. Who's your boyfriend, she asked. He's uninitiated, I said. I'm Seth, he said. Sorry we, uh, broke in. I'm Molly, she said with a surprisingly sweet smile. What's this about treasure? I gave her the short version. I heard rumors that the MMA was launching a crackdown on you nerds, she said. I read on MySpace that your captain has the unduplicadius. I laughed. The unduplicadius is a myth. What else would be so important that the MAA would take out your entire cabal and kill the captain? He might have been rogue, but he was still a greybeard like the rest of them, Molly said. She began to pace the room between Seth and me. If Captain Blood had the unduplicadius sprog, then he would have destroyed it. What are you, a noob? Molly sneered. It can't be destroyed. What the hell is the unduplica... Seth asked. Unduplicadius, I corrected. It's an urban legend among wizards. It's a spell that cannot be copied. Anything it is cast upon becomes its platonic ideal. Ah, he paused. And that means... 
The target can't be copied, and any copies already made are erased from existence, Molly said, waving her hands. Story time over. A look of horror slowly worked across her face. Her eyes were fixed on the screen just behind me. We run now? I asked. She nodded. All three of us bolted from the room. Molly snatched a laptop bag from behind the door just before slipping past me and down the stairwell, straight for the fire escape. The second story exploded a few seconds later. There were more loud, scary sounds as we put more distance behind us. I caught the glimpse of the sorority house and the reflection of a parked car's windshield as we ran. Something with four-story tall tentacles was demolishing Kappa Kappa Theta. "'See?' Molly shouted. "'It has to be the unduplicatius.' I admitted that she could be right. Molly took the lead and ran down streets and alleys until, out of breath, we stopped somewhere in the downtown district. Revelers stumbled past the entrance to our alley of refuge, singing drunkenly. I felt like throwing up. That was pretty cool, Seth said. He giggled. A giant squid thing ate your house. Well, he's cracked, Molly said. You okay? Yes, I said. So she punched me in the gut. It really hurt. Asshole. A little bit of love magic here and there. That's all I was in for. At worst, they might make me ugly, turn my skin green. I wasn't a threat. Then you show up with your treasure crap and they eat my house. I contemplated running for my life, but two marathons were more than enough for one day. I have an idea, I said instead. Molly stopped in mid-wind-up for another punch. Talk. The map looks like a series of IP addresses. I think that they might be crunchable, though, through the Aldamathan equation. If we had the processing power, we could decode the map and find the unduplicatius. I don't hear anything in your plan about getting the MAA off our backs, she said, her tone ominous. Then we hand over the unduplicatius for our lives, I said, wincing at the idea even though I'd brought it up. We can't do that, Seth said horrified. Can we do that? No, Seth. Giving the MAA the unduplicatius will destroy everything the rogues have worked for, Molly said. Well, how do they keep finding us, man? Seth asked. Sympathetic magic is my guess, I said. What? Seth blinked. If you have a little bit of someone, I said, you can work all kinds of magic on them. Hair, blood, teeth, whatever. It's the really old stuff. Only, for digital practitioners like us, things like social security numbers or driver's license numbers work just the same. They're part of our identity, just like our hair or teeth. If your captain was compromised, then they have access to all that information, Molly pointed out. The rogue graybeards are really anally retentive about knowing everything about their recruits. I had to give a drop of blood to my mentor. We've got to get the sprog and trade it to them for our safety, she said, coming around to my plan. Right, but none of this will matter if they beat us to the sprog, I said, starting to pace now. Captain Blood said that he sent the same map to everyone in my cabal, so I'm sure the MAA is already working on crunching it. We need to crunch it, too, and there's only one cabal I know of that has more processing power than the MAA. She shook her head. No way. I am not talking to those weirdos. Who? Seth asked. The Spam Kings, I said. Spammers? Seth frowned. They're wizards? You don't think anyone actually buys the crap in their messages, do you? I shook my head. And have you noticed that half the spam you get isn't even selling anything anymore? Each spam contains a tiny bit of sprog code, and it steals from you, takes the energy you waste reading it, and then sends it back to the spam kings. 
They have the biggest stores of mojo of anybody. Enough to knock the Earth out of orbit, some say. On top of all that mojo, they have a huge network of zombie machines that send the spam, which they can use to crunch the sprogs or whatever they want. That sounds dangerous, Seth said, frowning. Exactly, Molly said. Nobody knows anything about them. We can't trust them. I know that the MAA hates them as much as the MAA hates pirates, and the enemy of my enemy, blah, 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 I said. Unless you have a better idea. She paused. Not at the moment. Good, I said. Let's break out that laptop of yours and find a wireless signal. In an hour, we had our first spam. It took another hour for me to trace its headers back to the zombie that sent it. Spam kings use old-fashioned mundane hacking to take over poorly firewalled computers and turn them into spam sending machines. It was easy enough to let ourselves in through the same doors, then close them. We spent another hour tracing more spam, shutting down zombie machines, and leaving our calling card, a text file with instructions for how to contact us. After 20 disinfections, we had an email from, Dear Sirs, I hope this message finds you well. Christ be with you. Please be stopping with your attacks. What do you want? Sincerely, King Abu Il Najara the Eleventh. We have contact, I said, pausing. But I'm not so sure about this. Tell them what we want, said Molly. So I did. Five more minutes, and we had our response. Such a transaction as this will be costly to you. Please provide access to 1.01 terabyte of goods. Username and password, please, to safe store. In order for transaction to proceed, Christ be with you. I blinked. 1.1 terabytes? Molly said in wonder. What's the big deal? Seth asked. Collect up some mojo so we can pay them. It took me a year to save up a 100 gigs of mojo from my MP3 servers, I said numbly. I save up half as much from my live journal quizzes, Molly said, looking embarrassed. Practitioners are always comparing mojo stash sizes, and nobody likes to have the smallest one in the room, if you know what I mean. Seth rolled his eyes from side to side, doing the math. Well, shit! We sat in silence for a too long moment. I contemplated emailing the MAA to turn myself in and finish the whole business. Molly spoke up before I could begin writing my surrender. My turn, she said. We hired an off-duty cabbie to drive us from Larrytown to Kansas City. For the first ten minutes, I refused to speak with Molly. Hey, you were the one that suggested we deal with the Spam Kings, she said over Seth, who sat wedged between us, his personal space like a neutral zone. I said nothing. These guys are no worse, she said. They're disgusting, I said. I can't believe you know them. Molly laughed. You're such a prig. Don't tell me you never watch porn. Since I learned that they were making mojo off me when I did, no. I whispered in a shrill voice. Only if you get off, Molly said, grinning. <laughs> Pornomancer. Seth rolled the word around in his mouth, seeming to enjoy it like a six-year-old enjoys a new swear. I never would have guessed you'd be so cool to hang out with, Molly. I turned to face the window and did my best to block out Molly and Seth's conversation. What I did, and what Molly did to get mojo, was harmless. Spam kings and pornomancers manipulated people. It was black magic, and I didn't want anything to do with it. But I had been quick to use the spam kings, hadn't I? Maybe she was right, and I was a prig. But there was nothing wrong with that. The cabbie followed Molly's directions down into the industrial district alongside the river. 
an area of run-down warehouses that would soon be turned into lofts, but in the meantime were the natural habitat of sleazeballs like Molly's contact, a man named Clint. Clint. Even his name sounded like a perverted sex act. We were met at the door of the warehouse by two real meathead bodyguards. They patted us down, and they took Molly's laptop bag. One held a tablet PC, and I felt a low-level scanning sprog looking us over. He nodded, and the other opened the door for us. Just inside the threshold, a tall, thin, acid-blonde man pounced on Molly. The sudden movement made me squeak embarrassingly and sent Seth into a half-assed karate pose. "'Darling, so good of you to drop in and see us,' he said, accent sounding like the villain of a die-hard film. "'We're just getting ready to film a three-way with Rockford. Do you want to watch?' Clint fiddled one of his fifteen facial piercings. "'Sorry,' Molly said, smiling so sweetly again. "'We need a favor, Clint. I was hoping you could help. No questions asked?' "'No questions asked?' Clint shrugged. "'Sure, sure. What's this favor?' Molly gave him the number. I expected him to go ballistic, but he merely smiled softly. "'We can arrange for this, if you are willing to agree to my proposal previously discussed,' Clint said. "'Proposal? Like what? Marriage?' Seth asked, deadpan. "'Silly boy, you're nice. I like you. I want her to star in one of my little clips. She has the look that sells so well, you know. No fu- I began, but Molly elbowed me in the stomach and I gasped for air, leaving my protest half-voiced. Done. She handed Clint a scrap of paper. Send the login info here, would you? For you, darling. Anything. I wanted to kick his smiling teeth in, but Clint waved us away, and Molly dragged me back outside. Now what? Seth asked. We go back in there and tell him no deal, I said. We find an access point and send the map to the Spam Kings, Molly said, pretending as if I had said nothing at all. I can't let you, uh, debase yourself over a stupid sprog, I said. That stupid sprog is going to buy me my continued existence, Molly snapped. And the only reason I'm involved is because you got me to be. You don't get to say a damn thing about it. She inhaled deeply and smoothed out her dress. Now, find wireless, send map, save our lives, okay? After a pause, I said, Okay. We found a rundown coffee shop off the business district that was still open and set up camp at a corner table. While Seth bought the coffee, I decided it was time to have a private conversation with Molly. I'm sorry about this, I said. I didn't mean to involve you. Molly glared for a moment, then relaxed and shrugged. I was bored tonight anyway. Forget about it. Let's get the sprog, and then we can calm things with Big Mother. There was an awkward silence. One of the baristas put on a Beth Orton CD. So, uh, you really use magic to match up couples? I asked. What's weird about that? Nothing, nothing. It's just the mythical order of buccaneers thinks on a larger scale is all. I think it's cute. Jesus, Seth was taking his time. Making the love lives of people better is cute and small scale? She raised her voice, then caught herself and quieted down. Sorry, no, I didn't mean it that way, I said quickly. Whatever. Magic worked large is dangerous, and at least we're responsible. You pirate freaks giving any old spell to anyone who can download it, that's... Hey, at least we respect people enough to give them a choice. The MAA thinks magic is too good for people like you and me. Safety, 
bullshit. It's all about power. And history has shown that the world doesn't end when you give power to the people. It gets better. The power to vote and the power to turn your neighbor into a toad are not the same thing, she said. You're right. Voting is stronger, I said. This conversation has turned into an after-school special, she said. We laughed. Seth finally returned with the drinks. Any word from the Spam Kings? he asked. Molly checked the laptop screen. She shook her head. Not yet. It might take a while longer for them to crunch it. Let's give them time, I said. If we get out of this alive, you are totally teaching me magic, Seth said. I should be studying right now. I groaned. Don't remind me. I'm so going to flunk out. I'm not sure studying would help at this point. You've been spending a lot of time at the library, Seth said. Give yourself some credit. Not studying. Reading occult books in the rare books room. Looking for more spells to crunch and turn into sprogs. You'd be surprised at the stuff they have right on campus. Really? Molly raised an eyebrow. Anything good? Sure, lots. I was about to go on when the laptop chirped. Molly read, gnawing her lip. So? Seth asked. Spam kings say we're idiots, Molly said. The list didn't crunch out to anything. I said a very, very dirty word. Wait, there's more. They say there is a pattern to the list, though. They're all game servers for various MMOGs. Game servers have good security, I said. The list is of every MMOG game server but one, Molly said. Seth grinned. One of those hide-in-plain-sight kind of things. We'll have to take their word for it, then, I said. Which server? What game? Morditus, in Lands of Deadly Combat, Molly reported. So the Sprog is a file in a game server? Did Captain Blood mean treasure literally? Molly asked, looking at me. I had always wondered how Captain made his mojo. Game programmer made sense. And from what I had read, Lands of Deadly Combat had millions of players, all spending hours and hours playing. Wow. Thinking about the amount of mojo that could generate nearly rebooted my brain. Those things will kill your social life, I finally said. I never play. You don't have a social life, Molly said, grinning. I have other interests, I said, and sniffed dramatically. Do you play? I asked Molly. I do have a social life, she said. We turned to look at Seth. Hey, I'm too cool for online games, he said. But he stammered just a little bit, and he was a tad red-sheeked like he always was when I came in after he had the door locked and had taken his time letting me in. Dude, I said, you don't have a porn problem? All those times you had the door locked? Totally jerking it, I swear. Totally lying, more like. He deflated. I have a level 80 orc warlord, he said in a small voice. I grabbed him and shook him by the shoulders. You beautiful bastard. I thought you were a pervert, but instead, you're a geek. One of us, one of us. Molly chanted, and slid the laptop across the table to Seth. Any idea what the treasure is? I asked. The Staff of Erasure, Seth said. No one has ever beat the pirate's ghost that guards it. The ghost is impervious to all damage, man. Could you do it? I asked. I've tried, Seth cried. It's impossible. What if you used magic? Molly asked. It's immune to my spells, he said. Just go for it, I said, booting my PDA. This time, you'll have real magic. Let's kick some pirate ass, Molly said, and Seth logged in. MMOG games may be fun to play, but watching them is about as entertaining as watching a really bad foreign film with no subtitles. There was lots of blood, 
pretty lights, and random numbers flying around the screen. Four hours later, Seth's green-skinned avatar stood triumphant over the hovering transparent corpse of a pirate ghost, its face a crudely polygonal copy of Captain Blood's, barely recognizable. The captain had coded the actual challenge of fighting the ghost to be a piece of cake for someone who knew what to look for. It was full of hidden exploit codes that common detection sprogs lit up like a Christmas tree. The victory was a little bittersweet for me, and it left me once again tapped for mojo. Once Seth's character picked up the staff, we began receiving a file from the game server. We'll have it any minute now, Seth said. The lights flickered and the baristas froze in place behind the counter. I checked the progress bar on the computer. It had halted at 99%. Seth wasn't moving either. Molly, however, was freaking out. Big Mother has found us! She tried to close the laptop screen, but it wouldn't budge. I waited for the inevitable, but it didn't come. No dark-suited thugs burst through the door, magic wands blazing. Weird, I said. A white vapor coalesced somewhere near the espresso machine. It slowly took the form of Captain Blood, bedecked in full pirate captain garb, boots, sword, and all. He grinned. Good job, matey, he said, his voice cold as winter's equinox. You found the treasure and killed its digital guardian. The apparition squinted at us. Whoa, girl, who are you? He leered at her until I waved my hand and got his attention again. The MAA is on to us. We're going to have to turn it over to them or they're going to wipe us out. Captain Blood laughed heartily. Don't be a noob, kid. Use the force. By which I mean the unduplicatious. With that, he faded away and time restored itself. It's done, Seth said, jubilant. What the hell did that mean? Molly asked. What do you think would happen if we cast the unduplicatious on ourselves? I asked, gnawing on an unpleasant idea. Hmm. We'd become our platonic ideals, and all copies of us would be destroyed. Maybe memories, even. Informational constructs aren't my specialty. My own family wouldn't even know who I am? Asked Seth. He slumped across the table. Not to mention our school records, everything. Although, with my grades going this way, maybe this wouldn't be so bad, I said. Wait! Molly clapped her hands together and bounced in her seat. I have it! We don't have to cast the sprog on us! We both came to the same conclusion. We cast it on our IDs, I said. Molly nodded for me to continue. The MAA is tracking us with digital sympathetic magic, so we create our one true driver's licenses and poof goes the rest, right? The lights began to flicker again. I think you better just decide now, Seth said. I feel like I'm about to throw up my kidneys. I felt it too. It was that peculiar sensation of turning inside out that only came from something. Infernal being written into the world object model. A demon was on its way. The MAA had found us again. Quick, empty your pockets, Molly shouted. The rumble was growing louder, almost deafening. The temperature was rising, too. Seth and I scrambled to comply. We dumped our driver's licenses and other IDs onto the table. Three pennies from Seth's pocket fell into the pile, too. But before I could remove them, Molly had traced a circle around them and initiated the sprog. Waves of magical energy washed out of the laptop, and I could feel it writing to my own record in the world object model. The power went out. The heat faded, and the vomit-yourself-to-death sensation vanished. The only light in the room was from the soft glow of the laptop screen, running on battery power. Dang, I said, 
I waited. Nothing ate me. I just thought of something, Seth said in the dark. What? Molly asked. Does this mean we'll never have to pay taxes? School had no record of any of us. On the plus side, we got to skip finals. It's hard to take classes when you don't have a transcript. I don't think anyone on campus was too focused on them, though. Everyone was busy speculating about the great penny disappearance. With my computer fried, I was watching a lot of television, and one pundit said that, whatever the cause, the U.S. was better without one-cent coins. Nobody was talking much about the trouble the government was having in making more. The downside was, Seth and I were out of a home. Housing understood our plight. Really, they did, but they had no files for us, so out we went to make room for incoming freshmen. Reapply over the winter break, they said. We'll find you something. Yeah, right. We traded one of the platonic pennies for a month's free rent at a motel near campus. They were worth a hell of a lot more than that, but we needed a place to crash. We spent the rest of the finals week hanging out on the quad, talking about the unduplicatious, wondering if MAA might try to come after us still. Captain Blood had possessed the spell, but he'd never been willing to use it. He may have been a rogue, but he was still conservative about magic in weird ways. I figured our brashness had the MAA graybeards worried. It was buying us time, but who knew how much. I taught Seth about magic, or what I could do without a computer, anyway, and I promised to teach him more. I was going to need a new cabal if I continued with magic. Something I wasn't too sure about. Three close calls with oblivion were enough for me at the moment. The last day before winter break, Molly tracked us down, and the three of us went for coffee. "'You have to agree that some magic shouldn't be shared with anyone,' Molly said. I made a note that caffeine made her preachy. "'If you could copy the unduplicatious and give it away, would you?' "'No,' I said. "'I think you're right.' So she gave me a hug. I resolved right then to let her win more arguments in the future. "'So where have you been?' Seth asked. "'Making porn,' she said. "'Like your mother says, making cupcakes.' "'Cool. What's the site's URL, anyway?' Seth asked innocently. I was totally going to curse him with genital warts when I had Mojo again. Don't bother, she said. You won't find me on there. Oh, yeah? Why not? I asked. Unduplicatious, she said with a smug look, then laughed at our expressions, which were, to say the least, mixed. It'll take dinner and a movie at least before you see me naked. Then she leaned over and gave Seth a quick kiss on the cheek. Our expressions weren't the only thing mixed. Seth and I exchanged a series of looks in the secret language of college men. Rough translation, WTF. Pause for the realization to hit, oh, it's on. So I was going to need a new computer after all. The poor bastard didn't know what he was getting into, competing with a net mage of my caliber for a girl. There were curses that needed downloading. Nothing too serious, of course. I'm thinking of a nice 1.0 curse. Something that causes itching in all the wrong places. There you go, a great story. Do pop over to Jeremy's site. Again, link is on the front of the website. It is jeremiahtalbert.com. Just for anyone who wants to go straight there now. So next up we have a little interview that myself and Larry conducted a couple of minutes long that's all it is something to do on the lines of a topic of a story and eight thousand words or was it twenty one thousand words 
Larry, sir, how are you doing? So you could hear me okay. I can hear, I can hear you and see you fantastic. I don't see you, I just Oh, no, see you're, you're, you're not seeing me. I've nearly got a beard as big as yours. Wait on, let's see if I can... Get... I just have the uh, sofa, the, the, the Starship sofa image. Let's see if you can get my ugly... There we go. Oh, there you go, <laughs> there you go. Right. Listen, Tony, I'm going to have to catch a bus to work in about, uh, oh, two minutes, but uh, I just wanted to contact you and see if everything was okay. 21,000? 21,000 and some odd hundred. It'll, it'll, I'll, it'll be cut down somewhat in the, the, uh, the rewrites, but... Uh, 21,000? 21,000. It's a small novel, actually. It's made me smile out because I'm going to... You can honestly keep it at twenty one thousand, and I'll play it all in one go. To be quite, that's oh, probably. I want to do that. I mean, that would be three friggin' hours, man. That would be uh, too much of me for even me to take. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh-uh. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm quite prepared to play it like that. Or if you want to split it up, you know, don't spoil it if it's gonna if it's gonna cut it up and spoil oh, no, your story. No. You I know. mean, I, I've got to go through it. I, I've got to make a pass through to. Uh, to trim and do all sorts of things I mean, anyway. I mean, uh, 8,000 to 21,000 is not that big enough. It's not a big jump anyways, isn't it not? No, I agree. You do uh, agree? As I say, uh, 21,000 at, at one go is probably too much for even me to take. But uh, Mind, I mean, I'll record it. I'll, I'll see if I can... Wouldn't you, 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 do, well, you wouldn't want to uh, split it up into, like, two uh, sessions? Larry, no. it's anyth- anything you want, to be quite honest. Whatever, you know what I mean? If it, if it takes two, if you're happy with two sessions, I'll play it over two. If you want to have a good one, I'm quite... I mean, my estimate of it would be about three hours. Yes, it's... Uh, 21,000, yeah, so, think it's, oh, it's, that's, it's, that's quite a lot. Uh-huh. It's more than 8,000, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot more than 8,000. It's... it's uh, <laughs> A much bigger number. Eight is not quite as large as 21. No, no. I suspect it'll go down to something uh, under 20 when I... When I, 90, 90, I, mean, I mean, I guess I could gut it and... and oh, Daddy, don't... Um, you know. Don't worry about it. Do you know what I mean? If it if it comes in at that, that'll just make me smile, and that'll be something to play on. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you do realize you will get so much stick. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I set, yeah. I set you the goal, and it's just just a little bit over. <laughs> it's a wee a wee skosh. Don't go to thirty thousand, mind you. No, just... <laughs> no, no, no. It's I've got a first draft now, and what I'll do is go through it, and things will come out of it, but. Uh, but always, as my wife just said, yeah, I always put things back in too. So, <laughs> so it could, in cutting the story, it could go from twenty one thousand to maybe twenty five thousand. So that's not significantly different. So. Oh, just before you shoot off, then like, I'm going to do the yeah. show, record the show tomorrow. Is there a re- report coming over or not? I, or? I did not do one. But, that's all right. Uh, if you, I mean, if you're more than welcome to send one over, but. I'm, if no, not, I, I think not. I think not. You can just mention somewhere in your uh, that first draft is finished and it's uh, <laughs> it's slightly longer than we anticipated, but uh, it's going well. well I, <laughs> I'm happy. I like it. Actually, I, I like it, which I, is that, rare. For that's, that's good. That's good. I could give you a big hug. <laughs> oh, okay. 
<laughs> this are you, are you know Bob's in green, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Larry, look after yourself. All right, take it easy, Tony. And, and thanks you. for the talk, and uh, welcome back. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there you go. You know what I mean? I, honestly, when I said there, you just give him a big hug. You could. Larry Santoro is probably the nicest guy on the internet. But don't ask him to write a brief for you for 8,000 words because, my God, it will grow. But you know what? I am dying now to listen to that. And and actually, I'll leave it up to everyone. Do you know what I mean? This is not just my show. It's not just Larry's show. It's, it's all our shows. Would you want? Because I've often been tempted to put like a really big story, and I've got some in the works there actually recording, ready to go. Would you like to? Because it's going to come out the first week, Larry. Larry, don't let us bloody down. First week in December. And that would be a great kickoff for, you know what I was going to do? Or what I am going to do is put the e-version out as well. So you can download that for two ninety nine, And all funds throughout the month of December will go over to Spider Robinson. Would you want to listen to the full audiobook in one sitting? And I'm quite prepared to do that. You know, I would love to do that. But I would also love to put it into like a serial as well. But it's entirely up to you, you know. And I will only find out if you drop us an email and let us know. So we can run this. And what Larry says, and he's probably spot on there, three hours long. And it will literally be that show, if that's the way it's going to go, it'll be a beginning, me saying this is what's happening, this is where you can get the ebook version for supporting Spider Robinson and Jeannie Robinson. Then that audio will come in. And then it'll be the end. Or shall we break it up and make it into a serial? Please, I'm handing over. I'm handing over the controls to everyone. Next up is a couple of new titles. There's been many new titles popping in since I've been away on my happy holidays there. But I've picked two. And like I say, next week I'll try and get two in as well. But I didn't want to make the new titles a really long, big section. But I wanted to mention a couple of books. The first one is Stan Nichols' Orcs Bad Blood. This is the second one, and it's by Galance. Comes in at price $12.99. The trade paperback size. Page numbers, we've got 258, 259. No, we haven't. We've got 262. There you go. The cover is, it's actually a nice cover. It's got this you know, Orcs written and Bad Blood 2 in a kind of a hit metal, you know, like a distressed metal-looking style with what they're used to the, the the helmet of orcs, and it's quite a, a distinct helmet. And and I think Stan Nichols has hit on you know a really good point of view, you know, from the orcs' point of view. Army of Shadows. This is Bad Blood Two. I'll give you a little blurb on the back. Praise for orcs. Guardian says fast, dirty, very funny, often surreal. Tad Williams, who we had on last week, says. Buy now or beg for mercy later. What a great one. SFX says, excellent fantasy with a twist. Orcs warband wolverines are stranded in a parallel world. Their only means of escape, the mysterious instrumentalities, have been seized by their nemesis, the depraved sorceress Genesa. But regaining the artifacts is only one of their problems. To ignite an uprising in the face of ruthless human oppressors, commanding magic, strike, and his band must reawaken their lost martial spirit of the world's indigenous orcs. 
A prophecy has been revealed and an omen lights the sky. Struggling to come to terms with a strange land and unlikely allies, the mountain tensions within the Wolverines strike us to face the possibility of a traitor in their ranks. And now a third force has entered the fray, determined to gain the instrumentalities at any cost. In the shadow of encroaching chaos, events are about to take an even more devious turn, leaving Strike confronted with an opponent he has never dreamed of facing. David Gemmell says, wall-to-wall action, gritty and fast-paced. There you go. Glance, Orcs, Bad Blood 2, Army of Shadows, The Uprising is Coming by Stan Nichols. Trade paperback, twelve ninety-nine. Next one is Big Chunky Chunky Mother from Orbit Publishing. It is the Robert Jordan with Brandon Sanson, The Gathering Storm. Comes out, or it's out now, 27th of October, hardback, £20. And like all Robert Jordan stories, this is a chunky mother. 783 pages. It's, it's, it's on that anthem style size. So this is book 12 of The Wheel of Time. The Gathering Storm, and it was partially written by Robert Jordan until his untimely death. Then the publishers got together with Brandon Sanson to finish it off. And like I say, it is one monster of a book. £20 hardback, this is the UK version from Orbit. On the back, the wheel of time turns and ages come and go. What was, what will be, and what is may yet fall under the shadow. Let the dragon ride again on the winds of time. Praise for Wheel of Time, a fantasy phenomenon, that's SFX. Austin Scott Card says, a powerful vision of good and evil. Sunday Times, epic in every sense. I'll give you a little blurb on two right on both writers. Robert Jordan was born in 1948 in Charleston, South Carolina and died in 2007. He has written historical novels, dance and theatre criticism, but it is the many volumes of his epic Wheel of Time series that has made him one of the bestsellers and best-loved fantasy writers of modern times. Brandon Sanderson grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. He teaches creative writing at Brigham Young University and lives in Provo, Utah, with his wife, Emily, and son, Joel. I got a press release with the book as well, and this one says on the press release, The final volume of The Wheel of Time, A Memory of Light, was partially written by Robert Jordan until his untimely passing in 2007. Brandon Sanderson's New York Times bestseller author of Mistborn Books was chosen by Jordan's editor and wife, Harriet McDougall, to complete the final book. The scope and size of the volume was such that it was not contained in a single book, And so The Gathering Storm is the first of three novels that will cover the outline left by Robert Jordan, chronicling Tamron Gaiden and Randathor's final confrontation with the Dark One. The short sequence will complete the struggle against the Shadow, bringing to a close a journey begun almost 20 years ago and making the conclusion of A Wheel of Time, the preeminent fantasy epic of our era. The Wheel of Time series has sold over 40 million copies worldwide, Books 8 to 11 each reached number 1 in the New York Times bestseller list. There you go. It is one chunky book. And like I say, this is like the first one of a new, the three, a new three coming out. Then that will be the it of The Wheel of Time. So there you go. Two books for new titles. 
Stan Nichols, Orcs, Bad Blood 2, and Book 12 of The Wheel of Time, Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanson's The Gathering Storm. So, we come on to the last part of the show, and the last part of the show is the announcement of a new project for Starship Sofa. What is this new project? I hear you cry. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I put out a, cr- a, a cry, <laughs> plea, a desperation shout. I put out a, a shout. If anyone was interested in helping out with a little bit of typing, just a little bit of typing, yes, five minutes here or there, easy peasy lemon squeezy. Oh, no, 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 it's not five minutes. It's a monster task. The idea is, now, again, I'm, I'm leaving this up to everyone out there. I've got this idea, I've had this idea of getting some of the very early shows with myself and Kieran transcribed and put into a book. And, like I say, the plea was there for anyone who could like, help out and who would, you know, sit down and listen to me and Kieran waffle on and get it typed out and transcribed. And then it would all be correlated and packed off and shipped to D, who's going to... I'm actually not even, you know, he's never even said yes yet, but I'm sure, I'm sure we can kind of, you know, come on, D, come on. Well, up to now, there has been three people who stood up and, you know, have come forward. So this is just really the announcement to say there is another project in the works, and if anyone wants to get involved with it, please, if anyone's got any ideas... Please, starshipsover at gmail.com. So the idea is either one book or a few in a series to get some of them shows or all of them shows between myself and Kieran narrated and made into like a transcribe and then put into a book. If you have any ideas about the series, drop us a line. If you have any ideas, should it be one book or a few books or all the things or just a collection of the, the, the greatest moments of the early Starship Sova, you know, I'm open to suggestions. If you have any ideas what should be actually in the book, you know, other little things, pictures, you know, anything like that, comments, scribbles, doodles, anything, you know, this is just the, the very start of it and I haven't got a timeline or anything like that. A rough timeline, let's say six months, you know, something like that. But that's the the idea. So if you're good with, you know, typing, and you want even just one, do one show, what I'm intending to do is get all the transcribers and get a couple of pages made out, you know, for them. So you get actually in the book and you get mentioned as well. So there you go. That is 107 Starship Sova. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do, if you want to support the show, this is the end bit, you know, where that, that ball gets come out there now. And, you know, if you want to make a donation to the Starship Sofa, honestly, that would be so helpful. Pop over the front of the website. You can either sign up for the sanatorium shows, get that private show where it's just me and you and a few others. That's a monthly donation of £2.50 or just a one-off donation. Do you know? That's, that's amazing as well. If you want to even support the Show by buying Starship Sofa's Volume 1. There you go, it's there on the website. That's been a phenomenal success. That you know, I've been really pleased with that. It's just so many nice comments about it. You know, it's it was some it was a new part of territory to step into, you know, and like I say for both me and D and everyone who put it together, it was, you know, a great a great experience and a great time. If you want to be involved in that, please, you know, pick up a copy. Just go over the website. 
And again, I am reassured by Josh, things are moving on the shop front, so eventually you can be able to download those. Everyone that's emailing in says, where's those old copies of the shows between myself and Kieran? That you can download them shows eventually. And there will be things in, like the fridge magnet and other certain things, T-shirts, everything like that. That's coming as well. So no excuse. No bloody excuse whatsoever. Until next week, I would just like to say, good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honour and artistic judgement? Tune in next week for the next exciting instalment of Starship Sofa. Of that erasure procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in three, two, one.